Small Business Focus on The Money Show. Well, our Small Business Focus this evening is all about what happens in this environment when the President signs new legislation into law, which basically wipes clean the slate for people with bad debt. Before I talk to Pavlo about this, Stephen Logan, Consumer Attorney at Logan Attorneys, on the line to us from Joburg this evening. Stephen Logan, this piece of legislation has gone through the parliamentary process. It's been, um, it's been uh, sort of driven through by the Department of Trade and Industry, and basically unfavorable consumer credit information, it goes. On the 1st of April, it disappears. Not quite. I think that's the misunderstanding. The uh, term being used is probably, uh, the legal term is adverse information. And that refers to that what was previously called default information reflecting uh, classification like slow payer or absconded. The actual uh, credit history, your month-to-month payment or non-payment for 24 to 36 months remains untouched. So any credit provider will see when you paid and when you didn't pay for how long you paid or how long you didn't pay. The big thing that's changing is that those adverse classifications of handed over, written off, absconded, slow payer are being removed on a once-off basis. Uh, And what is the consequence of that going to be? Well, it's um, a boon for consumers who are struggling to get um, the kids into school or uh, that type of thing because... Uh, particularly the thinking, I think, of the departments was uh, if you are applying for a job, frequently you, you go through a credit check, irrespective of the kind of job that you're applying for. And they don't want those kind of adverse classifications to stop you getting a job. At the same time, they acknowledge the importance of credit information in making a risk decision. And so they, they don't want to go too far and remove payment profile information. They, don't, they want to just assist consumers who are having a battle. They can afford credit, but they can't get it. Is there a risk here that uh, lenders are then exposed to clients that they shouldn't be exposed to? Or are there enough checks and balances in the system um, that allow for bad payers to be filtered out? Well, look, I think that the actuarial um, work that was done by the department prior to um, this uh, course of action being undertaken showed that there would be minimal risk for credit providers' risk portfolios because they're sitting with 24 to 36 months of credit bureau information, and in addition, they have their own uh, records of consumers. So um, they are sitting with a vast amount of payment information, which in fact includes uh, the kind of information that is being removed. So I don't think that there's a significant risk of either a contraction in the supply of credit or a dramatic increase in the cost of credit. At least that's what the department's telling us. That's what the department is telling you. What does your experience tell you? Well, you know, the first time that the credit information amnesty took place, it was a bit of a a damn squip because there were so many conditions attached and the consumers had to phone in and go and apply in each case uh, for the the amnesty to have effect. And that's not the case with this uh, credit information, uh, adverse information removal. Um, Basically, I think that the consequence will be far more profound in that apparently between 1.6 million and 3 million people would benefit from having some negative information removed. But the reality is that with the new affordability guidelines coming in, uh, consumers are not going to find it very easy to get credit. So I don't think it's going to change much. It will benefit those consumers who are trying to get employment or uh, get their kids into school, and there's a bit of an issue with an old um, 
adverse information listing. Stephen Logan, the consumer attorney on the line to us from Johannesburg. Thanks very much. Pavlo Fatidis in studio listening to that. It's not as bad as you thought, is it? Well, if you're a bank, it's not as bad as you thought because a bank can maintain its own information. It can keep its own information. And a lot of the algorithms that are used to assess your creditworthiness date back further than three years. They, they draw deep on behavior of the individual. They assess behavior on the individual based on a long history of credit information. That's not the part that worries me, Bruce. The part that worries me is that small, medium enterprises, the people that we care about on this particular show, rely on what is called public domain information. And that public domain information is the only information that they have accessible to them to assess the credit risk of a person standing in front of them who might want to buy a particular product or service, whatever it is that they might be offering. If that information is not made available in the manner that it currently is, it reduces the ability of that business owner to make a decent credit judgment. And I think that that is going to change the behavior of small, medium enterprises playing in this particular space. It means that you are more reluctant to give credit, which means that you are less likely to make the sales that you believe you need to make. Uh, and it means that you are less likely to take that risk of exposing yourself to a potentially credit, uh, bad credit risk. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it already, rather don't make a sale than make a sale that you can never collect. Yeah. Because already there's massive pressure. You know, when we look at what the RAND dollar is doing, I know that the RAND has strengthened slightly, but the pressure it's created on the economy. Last week when we spoke about the mining strikes yeah. and what it's led to, the pressure on the economy at the moment is so severe and so intense. I think that businesses, especially smaller businesses, which are flexible have the ability to move into trend and to move into new directions, need to reconsider some of their business models, the way they go about doing business, and where they play in what's called the big business value chain. In other words, are you in a sector where you have customers that rely heavily on issuing debt or credit, I beg your pardon, in order for their customers yeah. to buy from them? If you're dealing with customers like that, then I think you need to start making a few changes in your business to make sure you get paid or put in front of the line to be paid first. We're talking about the risk you take when you extend credit. John in Pretoria, what's your story, John? Hello. Hi, Bruce. Um, my story is from the other side. Well, from both sides. I'm a small business, and I've been had by people. However, today, the city of Tawani handed me over for money that is extremely complex. But had they done their work that as they should have eight years ago, oh, I would not be in the mess I'm in now, which I was completely unaware of, totally. They did not do their job. And suddenly they, they've not done their job, they've caught up with themselves and mm-hmm. suddenly made it your problem. Exactly. There's no negotiation, you're simply handed over mm-hmm. to debt collectors to sort well, out their problem. It's not, no, 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 there was an attempted negotiation from my okay. side. I went into them, I spoke to people, unbeknownst to them, I recorded those conversations, I had cop- made copies of all the con- communication that I had with him. I went to see a senior manager. He had a look at him, bar, bar, and oh, 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 we'll get back to you. They never did. They just handed me over. The handover company phoned me today. <clears throat> I recorded the phone call. I do these things when I need to. And it took me about four attempts to get the guy's name. He couldn't spell the name of the, of the debt collecting company properly. He kept on muting me on his side. It was a complete disaster, and it's carrying on. What on earth do I do? It's, I'm, I'm it's, sitting in a situation uh... where, and this I actually think I want to take this to Barry Bateman, because 
thousands of people in exactly the same situation because Tony decided unilaterally what they're going to do is they're going to up the rate on un, you know on, on undeveloped residential property to just under the most expensive rate which is for illegal use of property but this they don't tell people yeah they don't I, communicate with with people saying yeah. you owe us money <clears throat> and and, unfortunately John, i mean i'm going to i'm going to move on now i mean the things that the, the, we know dealing with city councils and with municipalities is the most soul-destroying occupation since trying to switch on the lights today. Um, and it, it's really, really tough. And uh, unfortunately, John has got now got to go through a legal process. The debt has been handed over to a group of debt collectors who are not on top of their game. Um, and there's no discussion. Um, and unless the, the only thing you can do is then take this matter to your attorney and then end up in the biggest, most expensive legal fight of your life, Pavlo. Yeah. Look, the part that really worries me the most is that John's a business owner. Yep. And he said he has a small business and he's a small business owner. And when you're a small business owner, and Bruce, a small business goes up to, let's say, about 50 million rand a year. Yep. So anywhere from zero up to there. The amount of pressure on you to simply try and keep the business going and to focus on growing your business, this is a massive distraction. And my heart goes out to him because he's operating against a system where people are spending money that's not theirs. They're spending time that's not theirs. It's a, it's a, yeah. And his only option is to go legal on it. Yeah, his only option is to go legal. And that's going to consume huge amounts of time, never mind the money. It's more the time that bothers me. And, and yeah, and so you, you, you're stuck with an incompetent say, a level of officials who haven't done their job, as John so eloquently put it, and it's your problem. Yeah, that's right. Full you of, try and get money back from SARS that SARS agree they owe you. Eight months, nine months, maybe a year, on it goes. But the moment you one day overdue, boy, do you, the, the are they quick? The interest payments start uh, yeah. start, start start ticking upwards. Yeah. Okay, so we find ourselves in this in this uh, invidious position where um, that's the one side of the problem that that small business owners face. The other side of the small business pro- if, that they face is um, I come to you and I say you're a catering business. I'd like you to cater my uh, my my son's twenty first birthday next weekend, um, and I'd like you to come and do it. And there's a, it's a fifty thousand rand contract. It's your first or second gig. This is a big one for you. Um, and you've got to give me the credit in order for you to get this gig because I'm not going to pay you a deposit. I know you need the business, and frankly, I'm busy now, so just make sure you're there on time on on, on Saturday evening. Mm, step away from that deal immediately. But I want the 50,000 rands with the business. Well, you, if you don't get paid, you're going to be 50,000 rand in the hole. So the approach that I would take is with the tightening credit environment and with the probability that there's going to be less lending taking place, and with the probability that a lot of loans that are made are not going to be collected because with adverse information being removed, your ability to assess is going to be compromised. There are a couple of things I would do. The first thing that I would do is have a look at what my product is. So in this instance, it's a catering business in the yeah. example you gave me. It's a 50,000 rand gig that you're busy going into. And the client turns around and says, you know, deliver. And upon delivery, once we're happy, I'll make payment to you. Bruce, that's not business to be done, especially if you've never done business with that client before. If you have a long history with that client, then it becomes interesting to look at an alternative way of doing it. Say, sure, I'll do it, but I need a deposit. So the full amount won't be available up front, but pay a deposit and on delivery, then pay the balance. You need to negotiate that. But what's even more important is let's say that client is, and give me an example of what does that client do? 
What, what industry are they in? Oh, I don't know. Um, so they they make tools. Okay, so it's an engineering company. Yes. They're in the tooling space. What becomes important is if you're a catering business and you're focusing on any and every type of customer out there, which means you don't ever develop an in-depth knowledge of the engineering uh. sector and industry, your ability to read the pressures in that industry and hence the cash flow pressures that that particular tooling business might face becomes depleted. So say, for example, the 50,000 rand gig is available. This is a tooling company. And it's a tooling company that supplies, unbeknownst to you, because you don't know who your customers yeah. are, tools into the Rustenburg area. Last week, we spoke about the act of Good God. Point. Good point. Mm-hmm. All the mines have basically shut down operations. That business is surely under massive pressure. And I can assure you that your 50,000 rand debt is not the first priority on their minds. But if you have that knowledge up front, you then have the power at least to take an informed decision. Do you want to take the risk? Or do you want to put forward a pricing model that if they abide by it or agree to it, at least you can get the business and draw the first relationship over there? And when debts go bad, you are going to be, you are going to be completely absorbed by that bad debt situation. The person who owes you the money hasn't got a care in the world because they've moved on to the next big thing. And if finally somebody forces them to pay you, maybe they will, maybe they won't at some point in the future. Chances are they've got deeper pockets than you. Your ability to collect that debt depends on their goodwill. Very much so. So I think I'd, I, we did a calculation about a year ago or so. When a debt starts to supersede around 75, 80,000 rand, a legal process becomes worthwhile. worthwhile. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Okay, so it's, that's kind of the target number. Because it takes about three years. Our legal process does really not, what doesn't function very effectively in this particular space. And you, can, you can't wait for three years to collect the 80,000 rand. If that 80,000 rand, let's say it's a big gig, if that 80,000 rand makes up 50, 60% of your turnover in that month, Bruce, you are out of business. Yeah. You won't survive from that. And so a few tips on how to avoid getting into this, into this trouble, Pavlo. Okay. So the first thing that I would do is I would target my customer segments. In other words, become familiar with the kind of customers you want to work with. If it's going to be engineering firms, understand where they are in the cycle of business. Are the engineering firms into the mining industry or are the engineering firms into the construction industry? Big difference between the two. Next thing is create terms around the service that you offer. Give a discount for early settlement where possible. Collect the money and hold the cash while you can. Because I think we're in for some tough times this year. Pablo Fatidis from Auric Business Incubator. Good homespun advice this evening for you if you are in your business and you need to take a chance in extending credit at a time when you look in the whites of the person's eyes and they're so completely reliable, but they may very well be faced with circumstances beyond their own control. So don't get yourself into a position where you're forced to become the bad guy.